לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Nalaman, sitting in the actual Highland Park Conservative Federal Park Nation on Shabbat from Highland Park, New Jersey. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. How's your cousin, Jeremy? And sitting in the Rabbi, actual apartment of Jeremy Kalmanovsky. Rabbi Barry J. Chesler, sitting in the actual... Dining room where most of my appearances take place. Okay. We are talking about Parsha Kitavo, which is really an incredible Parsha here, an amazing Parsha, because it talks about all the things that are going to happen to us if we follow the covenant and all the things that happen if we violate the covenant. And we'll talk about that at length shortly, but let's talk about the first passage, which is familiar to us, Vayakitavo El Ha'aretz, when you enter the land and... What do you do? You, you take from the first fruits of the land. You put it in a basket. You put your first fruits in a tene, unique word. You go to the place that God establishes his name. And you say to the priest, Uvat el kohen Here's, I acknowledge this day before God that I've entered the land. And then you make this declaration, which is familiar to us from Passover. My father was a fugitive Aramean. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there, etc., etc. And God took us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and awesome power. And that is why we're here. I would like, Barry, could you offer us your reflection on this first passage? Why is it significant? What's important? What's the content? Just tell us more about it. So there's so much in these verses that it's hard to unpack in a short period of time. But I think the key for us is that the first fruits are a confirmation of God's fulfillment of his promise to the ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that their descendants would inherit the land. And now the Israelites are farmers on the land, and the first fruits, which is the beginning of the harvest, is brought to the priest in the acknowledgement that God has delivered. And the Israelite, in order to make that statement, gives a short sacred history. My father was a wandering Aramean. I think you know, there's an interesting machloket controversy as whether it refers to Abraham or Yaakov. But I think for us what it means is that until the first fruits can be brought, we are all wanderers. That... Life is not in our control. Our destiny is very much tied up in the land, and the great symbol of the land, of course, is agriculture. And so we bring the first fruits. And the other thing that speaks to me is that this passage is about um, peace in the land as well, that there is no conquest narrative. Things were terrible in Egypt. Glasses over how the Israelites got to Egypt. Um, 
And we come into a land that is a land flowing with milk and honey. And I think that one of the big issues in Sefer Devarim is the importance of the land to everyday life, but also to Israelite destiny and by extension to us, their descendants, Jewish destiny as well. So Jeremy, if you want to just offer your, your take on this, I think I have a slightly different take than Barry. I'll, I'll save my, my, my rebuttal to him <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Go ahead. I think Barry's observation is, is very interesting that, um, that the slog of the book of Joshua, you know, the the battles and all of that is conspicuously absent, right? This is this is a story that fits um, the sacred history of Hashem takes the people out of Egypt, leads them across an ocean, leads them to a desert, and miraculously feeds them and brings them to this destiny. It's conspicuously light, on, and and Judaism, you know, perhaps after that, you know, it grows in its mythic beauty. And it's considerably light on those things which are which are not in the Torah. They're in the Bible, but they're not in the Torah. That are the you know bloody and problematic parts of of Yehoshua. Uh, I also want to make one observation, which is the the uh, you may say something about this also in your in your comment, but um, the fact that we don't have first fruits anymore, even even those of us who live in Eretz Yisrael, uh, who who you know have a mitzvah bikurim on their on their literal literal agricultural product we don't have first fruits and we don't have this pilgrimage but judaism in the form of the pesach seder has adapted this to the small feasts that we have in life i really like you know the observation that, that barry said that, that until we can say man this is beautiful we haven't arrived we're still wanderers and i think that's right but in our experience of life here on god's green earth um, sometimes you have moments that are Pesach seders, and sometimes you have moments that are beautiful and celebratory with your families around you, and you just want to say yes to. And reading a passage like this says, you know what? Life is hard. Life can stink. And savor, rejoice in those moments when you get to say, Zavat Chalabudvash. There are these moments that are flowing with milk, milk and honey. All right. So I agree with both of you on, on some level. And, and um, but I, I, I'm going to kind of just, Put a different angle on it, and say that, and, and I'm sure you agree with this. This is, this is not an accidental text. It's a very sophisticated text. It's, it's a compressed text, and it's a text that, in its compression, encodes certain key themes and elements that, that through a rigorous analysis by by doing the cross references of certain words, you you get another another narrative. For example, you know, Goy Gadol Atzum Varav. Right, uh, verse five. We have made become a great and very populous nation. So, in that little in that little phrase, you have compressed the promise that God made to Abraham and the way that Pharaoh refers to the the people of Israel. And and what you have here, the narrator, the the pilgrim who says this is. Maybe consciously or unconsciously, and pro, and maybe he was illiterate. Maybe he didn't know this, but he's referring to other things. The idea of This is a direct slag on Egypt. This is a polemic against Egypt. And if you don't mind, I'm going to show you the 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 picture. Oh, this is very cool. The the picture of the outstretched arm of Pharaoh. Right. So this is Ramses the second 
in the Temple of Simber with a Yad Chazakah and a Zerona Toyan, what does the what does the um, the Torah do? It the Torah basically upends the symbol, and God is the one with the outstretched arm and the, the strong and outstretched arm. Okay, and and uh, that the whole idea of a tenne, the tenne is an Egyptian basket, and I'm gonna just kind of you know pepper up the idea of Eretz of Vash. Look, Egypt. We have seen earlier on in the Book of Devarim the contrast between the land of Egypt and the land of Israel. The land of Egypt is totally irrigated by the Nile, end of story. The Nile overflows, it is the granary of the ancient world. Egypt has power because of its agricultural you know, uniqueness. It does, it, it's central to providing grain, not only to its citizens and bread to its citizens, but to the whole world. And it's, it's a one stop, it's a one crop country. But Israel, whoa, we got, we got our seven species. We got our chitasora, we got our, you know, olives and pomegranates and grapes, and we got our dates and figs. We got stuff going on here. Look at this land. Look at the bounty of this land. And it is an Eretz Zavat Chalavudvash, a land with the potential that we have come into with, you know, meadows and, uh, and, and, and honey, meaning... It's filled with the flooring, the, the flowering of, of, the, of the meadows, and it's got the potential for a developed society. Whereas Egypt, well, yes, of course, that was the great granary power, and, but, but uh, it was an Eretz only of Hayaor, only of the, the one Nile. And look, this is the, the, the land of, of God. This is God's promised land. So I think we have to add something here, and that is that the Egyptian economy, as I understand it, as you said, uh, so dependent on the irrigation and the Nile, is f- founded in extremely hard work. And if the Israelites were not doing that hard work, then the Egyptians never would have had to do it themselves. And, you know, our story being the Israelite story, so we're focused on when we get involved in the hard work, but we shouldn't, you know, the, the real contrast between Egypt and Israel, I think in part, is that God's blessing flows into the land of Israel, that the work there is never described as Avodah Kashah, that there's something special about the land that allows one to live there in peace, perhaps, and with a kind of peaceful um, existence that you just can't do in Egypt, where you have to work very hard in order to master the Nile. So from this text, we move to another declaration in, in, in this Parsha, the Tithe Declaration, and it, it has a punchline, Hashkifa mimon kochecha. You know, look down from your holy abode. I love that hashkifa, that word hashkifa. You know, it, it, I, I, I well, said, we all wear mishkafayim, so it resonates. There's a whole vocabulary that that, that depends on shin kuf pei. I, I'm I don't know if the word scope it comes from it. I look some. Ooh, uh, yeah, I think so. Should. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, scope scopus. You know, um, but the etymology dictionaries say that scope is from Greek. However, it's nice, okay? And we want God's blessings. It's, it's, the, the point is, he, the, this, this pilgrim who's bringing the, the tithe is saying, look down from your heavenly abode to the earthly abode. I'm standing here in your earthly abode and, and, and I am the point of contact between your heavenly abode and earthly abode, okay? 
And then we have- so Wait a second, I just wanna say just one thing about, you know, the, the, just real quick for our many listeners that the sabbatical cycle goes like this, in a seven year cycle, here's one, in every year you give truma to the Kohen, about 2%. Um, in every year you give 10% Maaseh Rishon to the Levite. They're the educational, spiritual leaders. They need sustenance too. Kohens and Kohanim and Levim get, get about 12% of your gross crop. Then there's the next 10% in years one and two, four and five of the sabbatical cycle. You have Maaseh Sheni. Um, you bring up your own pro- produce or the cash equivalent and you go to Jerusalem and you have a party and you enjoy it, and it must be enjoyed by you, and it must be enjoyed at the shrine in Jerusalem for the pilgrimage. In years three and six, you have to give it to the poor. And this declaration of Maaser is about Maaser Ani, the the gift to the poor. And so I I just think that this is a very um, powerful passage because when do you present to God that you have fulfilled your obligation? When you have taken care of the the Geriatom Ve'almanah, you've taken care of society's vulnerable, then then you know you have done with the agricultural bounty what Hashem has has designed for you to do. So we uh, can add uh, more to the distinction here because with uh, the declaration of the first fruits, it mentions the ger and the levy when you rejoice before the Lord. And with the second tithe, it mentions the ger, the levy, the atom, and the almanah. The or- so- I didn't translate. The, it's, the, it's the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. Right, and the Levite. Um, And so that concern for the poor has a specific reference with the the second tithe, but it also percolates throughout everything that happens in the land of Israel, because there are always disadvantaged people that have to become part of your daily existence, that you cannot turn the other, turn your view from them, Right. As God looks down on us, we have to look upon the people in our midst and help them as best we can. All right. Let's go to important verses uh, for 10 here. Okay. Uh, check hey, out- wait, by the way, I hear there's a new opening in Jeopardy because the guy the guy didn't even make it one week. So maybe you can come. Is it Maya Bialik, the, the new host? Of- She's a guest host. She's a guest host. All right. Quotable quotes from the Bible for 10, Alex. Allah shalom. Et Adonai ha-marta hayom. And it's ha-marta and Adonai ha-mircha. You have affirmed this day and God has affirmed this day. These two words, ha-mar and ha-mir. Jeremy, say a word about this. these two words, yeah. the uniqueness of these words. Our, our, um, our, our, many of our listeners, you know, you might, you might know that, that Hebrew, Hebrew is a wonderfully, formalistic, structured language, okay? Um, it, it follows lots of patterns. In, in English, you'd never get to am, is, were, was. Like that. It's really hard. Those words don't obviously connect. In Hebrew, all verbs fit nice rubrics and patterns. You always know more or less, if you recognize the, the three or sometimes four-letter root at the heart, you can figure out what's going on. So verbs are declined through different kind of paradigms. And this Aleph mem resh, omer, root that you can see here, to speak, um, appears in different kinds of forms. It can be, it can be the kal, it can be the, the, the pl, different kinds of verb structures, but it is, I'm going to say never, with, with, this, with this exception of the one that Elliot just said, 
I, I believe never, or I'll go a little lighter and say almost never, appears in this causative form. God caused you to speak and you caused God to speak. And that's why they translate here as declared or affirmed. It's a kind of an oath suggestion that 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 hey on the front of the of the word and and uh at the front of the root and the way it is is declined here is that um god and we have made each other promise something and it's not a it's it's as noted not a not a common phrase at all it's maybe maybe totally never appears except in this one context but it appears in our high holiday liturgy our yom kippur liturgy in the Kianu Amecha Viata Eloheinu song, when we get to the end, Anu Mamirecha Viata Mamireheinu, you promised us, or Anu Mamirecha, we are the ones who promised you, Viata Mamireinu, and you are the one who has promised us. And that lovely image of God and Israel pledging their love to each other, oh my God, it's beautiful. It's emotional just, just thinking about it. <laughs> And it also makes us think about the upcoming holidays. Uh, okay, uh, important verses for 20. Uh, uh, this is uh, chapter 27, verse 9. Uh, Moses and the Levitical priests to all Israel. Hasket Ushma Yisrael. One of my favorite verses in the entire Torah. Hasket Ushma Yisrael. If only for the Midrashic possibilities from this word. Hasket. This is like when you teach Midrash, you teach this verse because it's it's how to play on words. Hasket, has, vacharkate. Hasket means heed. But the rabbis play with hasket and they say has, which means shh, be quiet. Vacharkatet, which means literally cut yourself up or literally you know, pour yourself over it. Or asu kitot kitot, make into yourselves, make yourselves into groups like we have here. Kitot kitot. The kitatu Torah and and pour over the Torah, and and um, you know we we I, I I'm quoting Jeremy last year. You said something very very nice, on it, and I'm going to remind you what you said because I quoted it in my parsha sheet last year, which was, you know, Torah shapes us, and we shape Torah, right? Torah in a Torah niknet ella bechavura is what the, is the postscript, the punchline of this line, which is. Torah is not acquired; is only acquired through uh, through community. Community is shaped by Torah, but Rabbi Jeremy Kamalowski, we shape Torah too. We shape. I said that. No, that was good. You said yeah. that. It's pretty good. I forget a lot of stuff that I say, but <laughs> <laughs> well, that that I think is. I totally believe that. I think that. People find the meanings of their lives because they participate in a culture that is bigger than themselves. I don't, I don't really believe that you can ever understand yourself apart from the culture in which you live. But that culture is also always always alive, always in formation. And um, yeah. And so, so and, and just, you know, Barry, as a teacher, you know, it's your experience of kniyat Torah, ena Torah niknet. You know, what's it? as a teacher from your perspective, you know, with students and without students, you know, what's, how do you acquire Torah? Um, well, you have to pay for it. Um, and the way you pay for it <laughs> is uh, through study and, and hard work. But I think that the point that we're trying to make here is that Torah, like most important things in life is relational. 
it's not an object, but it's another subject with which we interact. And the way that you acquire Torah is by speaking, but also by listening and by hearing what you have to say and hearing what the other person has to say as well. Because, you know, what's striking about the passage that we're mentioning is that throughout the Parsha, there's this idea that God is our God and we are his treasured people. We have to make God our God and then God can make us his treasured people. That it's not God just acting upon the Jews or us just crying out. You know, we talked about the passage of the first fruits. What sets the exodus in motion is not the Israelites crying out, but God's response to that. Because until God can respond, there's not going to be any exodus story. Uh, and, yeah, I want to yeah, tweak on that a little bit, though, because I actually think, you know, there's a verse in uh, in Psalms. We say it in the king will respond on the day that we call. I actually think that is, I, I, it is triggered by the divine, but it, the, the divine response is key, but the, the response has to be triggered by the human appeal to the divine. Yeah, I don't want to minimize that. You're absolutely correct. Um, but what I was suggesting is that we have something that is relational, that in other words, there are two parties to it. It's not simply the crying out, it's that someone heard the voice, and in this case, God. That's all. Yes. All right. Important verses for thirty. Okay. Unetancha Adonai Elohim Elyon, chapter twenty-eight, verse one. Al Kol Goyarz. God will set you above all the nations of the earth. Uvao Alecha Kol Abrachota Ela. All these blessings shall come upon you and take effect. Vehisigucha. Uva Alecha Vehisigucha. When you heed the word of God. Blessed you in the city, blessed you in the country. Blessed be the issue of your womb, the promise of your sword, the offspring of your cattle, the calving of your herd, the lambing of your flock. Your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed are you in your comings and blessed are you in your goings. It's a, this is the ultimate blessing, or at least I'm going to say it's, it's, it compresses the whole gamut of human experience into, into, you know, into being blessed. We, you know, this, the psalm where we say, Yishmar and I say, you know, Psalm 121, right? Shira uh, Malot. May God guard your going and your coming for it. So there, there's an internal answering of this passage in, in the Torah. And of course, um, blessed be in the, in the city and in the, in the country, you know, wherever you live. I, don't yeah, know, I, I, would, like I want to say just a couple of things about, about this. Um, the, uh, first of all, it, it, it is just terrifically poetic. Um, it came. We, we skipped over, which is which is fine. But we skipped over a, a, a ritual proclamation of of curses, in which the people, the, which there's a, people on two mountains, Grizim and Eval, and we have a you know a, a recitation of blessings and then a recitation of curses. A and shout the, out. The, the what? It's a shout out. Yeah. Right. And and the curses are interesting because they are all about not doing bad in secret. 
at some level, it's, you know, cursed are those, you know, cursed are those who, who insult the deaf, uh, insult the parents, and cursed are those who, who um, manipulate the blind and, and people who move borders and people who have sex with the wrong people and people who have idols in secret and all those secret things. And it's like you get the whole community to say, okay, I know I can get away with certain things that you would never know about. And I affirm that I shouldn't do that, which I think is a very powerful thing. Like we don't, we, we have too little in the United States saying a, a public gathering together and say, let us not do the following things. But um, I love the fact that what's coming next as, as Elliot will, will tell us is a long series of curses. And, and you sort of, you sort of expect that the key thing that happens in, in this parasha is, I want to warn you that severe punishments will accrue if you violate the covenant. And they're really bad. They're terrible. They're frightening. And I think that there's something, even though the blessings are given very short quantitative attention, um, it just fits my religious outlook a hell of a lot better to say, not I'm going to punish you for violations, but life is blessed when it is pervaded by good things, by Torah, by mitzvot, and you will live a blessed life. And I, I, I want my religion to lead with brachot. Klalot might be necessary, curses might be necessary, but it just makes me happy, even if it's quantitatively small, that the first thing the Torah wants to say in this, in this episode is, by the way, guys, you can live a blessed, wonderful life. Shoot for that before you start worrying about being afraid of punishment. Because if you, if you don't listen, it, this is what's going to happen. And so I'm going to segue with that to, to the, the next, the, the major part of the, of, the, of the Torah reading, which is, you know, constituted in the sixth Aliyah, which is the, we'll talk about how we, how we read this and how we percolate or let this passage percolate with us. If you do not obey, 2815, do not obey the Lord. So we have the inverse. Arura tabair. Arura tabasid. A curse are you in the city. A curse you in the country. And then, bam. The Lord will strike you with consumption, fever, inflammation, scorching you, drought, blight, mildew. Hound you. They shall hound you to your peril. The skies above you, your head shall be copper. The earth shall be under you, shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land dust and sand shall drop on you. And I can't, it's, it's so hard to even read, you know, without, without, you know, tearing your clothing. And so I want to ask, how do we relate to this passage? And, and how, how does it sit with us? This, it's bad. This, this, there's a lot of terrible stuff that's going to happen. So Barry, offer us your, your reaction to it or take on this or framing of this for us. So I would begin by noting that it's human nature to minimize the blessings that we have in life and to maximize uh, the curses, as it were, the bad things that happen to us. Now, when the student comes home from school and the parent asks how the day was, the student says, fine. There's no explanation. But if something bad happened, you get a story. And it's not just this that happened, but this and this and this. And that's what the Tochacha says to me, is that when we begin to contemplate the bad things that could happen and will happen if we misbehave, there is no end to it. And in fact, though, there is a literary end to it, 
Well, we're left with this taste in our mouth at the end, I think, that it could actually keep going. And this, you know, passage in Devarim is the second one that we get in the Torah. We add one at the end of Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus as well. And, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, I wonder what effect this has on people, our ancestors, when they came across this passage, either in writing or orally, so long ago. Because we know from the historical record that their behavior was often not what it should have been. And punishments like these, and sometimes exactly these, came to confront them. So I wonder, you know, educationally, what, what the value is in a passage like this? I mean, educationally, emotionally, you know, emotionally, cognitively, I, I, it's, it's very hard, very hard. It's very hard to live with this, this, these passages. I, I have an approach that, that, you know, I'll, I'll offer it to you and maybe get your rebuttal from it, which is, which is, you know, the way to kill a joke is to analyze it to death. The way to neutralize a curse is to analyze it to death. So my, my, my tactic in, in studying this is to analyze them to death so that the power is neutralized, the power of the, the content is neutralized. So for example, when it says, <laughs> If I'm the God, I'm gonna make you read that one again. <laughs> you know, the Lord will strike with consumption, fever, inflammation. So I look at it and go like, wow, look at the poetry of that. Look at the poetry of this text. It's talking about consumption, fever, and inflammation. Scorching heat drama, but this, the verse is built on a section of of of, of triplets and, and it's organized in couplets and sevens and, and alliterations and, and all sorts of things. And I want to kill this content by analyzing it today because when I analyze the poetry of it and I, I have a delight in that, I, I don't think about consumption and fever. I think about the language. Well, I, I think you've, you've got something there, but I think... I would say you kind of you got an insight about the way to to kill the the joke or the curses to analyze it, but I think you took it then in the wrong direction, which is to okay. say that um, if you ask me, do I have a concept of a god who furiously punishes in such a severe way? I, I do not. I happen to be. I've mentioned to you guys before we started recording. I've been looking at say for Yechezkel, the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel in a way that just jumped out at me in a way I couldn't believe. He, he said, he has the divine voice say repeatedly, I will take no pity on you. I will have no mercy on you. And I'm like, this is not the God that that is the winning voice in Judaism. We have Midat din. We have the quality of judgment. We have Midat HaRachamim. We have mercy, and I need that. So do I believe in the God who who exacts such fearful punishment, I don't. But do I believe in human experience that has all of this stuff in it? And I most definitely do. So the human experience of such severe poverty, chasva chalila 50 million times of resorting to cannibalism, that's that's our human fear. Do I believe in the human experience of, of being so uh, psychologically scarred that you cannot you know, make it through your own days. At the end of all of this, it says, uh, your life is stretched out right before you, ha hanging by a thread right before you. 
night and day you are afraid, and you don't even believe in your life. Each morning you say, I wish it was night. Each night you say, I wish it was morning. That feeling of anxiety, you know, fear, meaninglessness, absurdity, that is a human experience. So what I relate to this passage is not that theological punishment thing, which which I just can't really absorb as as um, a, a divine, you know, as, as a characteristic of, of, of the way that div- divine reacts with humanity. But I do think it is a very, very powerful expression of human anxiety and fear that, they, that people, ancient Israelites and people today, have to make sense of. There are your reflections on this. So I, I think that one of the things that speaks to me along the lines of what Jeremy said is that our actions have consequences. And for our ancestors, they would sometimes attribute the, the actor of those in those consequences, the agent, to God. You know, the fear I have today is that we understand in many ways that our actions individually and communally, globally even, have consequences. But because of the human element, we sometimes ignore the consequences altogether. We think that there aren't going to be any consequences. And that also is a danger. You know, I, I think that if we have to choose, I would be more inclined to go with our ancestors approach where the consequences are defined and we could figure out a way to deal with them than what seems to me to be a modern approach, which is to ignore the consequences altogether and wait to see what happens, which I don't suspect is going to be as pretty as many people think. Um, so that, that's what I would suggest. All right. So let's do let's round this out with the notable verse at the end of this, which is. The Lord will send you back to Egypt in galleys. Verse 68, chapter 28, 68. The Lord will send you back to Egypt in galleys. Uh, by a route which I told you should not see again. You will be offered yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. The ain ko No one will buy you. Jeremy, just give us the pathos here. The- oh, the pathos. This is this is the uh, you know, this is so heartbreaking, right? Like it, what was the worst thing that used to happen to us? We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. Now, after having attained freedom, having come to the to the to the you know covenant realized in the promised land, then perverted it and and betrayed the covenant now you can't even be a slave in egypt you are so low that even the egyptians don't want you anymore last time you were in egypt you were really so successful that they were kind of threatened by your numbers now you're such a scraggly raggedy band that they don't even want you as slaves um that's that's a bummer you know you compared to the tokechas appears in parashat b'chukotai at the end of, of leviticus it ends off with, um, you know, and then you'll make tshuva and God will remember the land and you'll be reconciled. The one here in Deuteronomy, it just ends off with, you are so pathetic that, that people don't even want you as slaves and there's no tshuva at the end. There's a great passage in, in, uh, in I, I don't remember where this appears in, in Hazal in, in the Talmudic era rabbis, but it, it says, you know, Devarim is in Moshe's voice and in Bechukotai, it's in God's voice. The divine 
has looks forward to tshuva. But in the way that Barry was saying before, the human you know instinct to focus on the negative and to to say all the bad stuff and not to remember the good stuff. Uh, Moshe was a mere human who's you know for all of his wonderful qualities can be like a little negative, like human beings can be. Moshe, in his voice, the talk is much longer, the stuff is much worse, it's much more violent, and it doesn't have any sweetness at the end. Very. I defer to you, Elliot. I'm gonna, so you, you, I, I, maybe I'll, you'll comment on what I'm saying, which is I think that, that this, is, this is a representation of the collapse of history, that, that, that your story will not even matter, right? To, and and you're, you will be consigned to a life in which the lived experience that is recorded in this book is zero. It's a life of nihilism. It's a life where there's nothing, right? You don't, I mean, I want to cry even thinking about this. You don't even have a story. You know, you have nothing to talk about. You're, you, everything that went on before you, you don't have the great, you, you're going to be back in Egypt when no one wants to buy you, then that, that just diminishes the entire millennia of millennium of, of your previous history. You, you have, you have no story, man, that it's like you have no name. You're, you're, you're erased. And, and, and as someone who lives with literature, Barry, right. To not have, to not have your story. I don't know. Well, you have actually nothing. I'm, the image I'm struck with with is the person who's capable of being a slave but has no one to buy him. So what does the master provide at the minimum? Some kind of shelter and some kind of food. If no one buys you, you have no job. You have no shelter. You have no food. It is the annihilation of your personhood. Yeah. You know, it is a kind of... Uh, metaphorical murder as it were because you are destroyed and you have no soul you have no soul either you have nothing so you've been obliterated and you know the story you know i often think of uh Faulkner's remarks um when he got the nobel prize about that scratch on humanity you know that we all i think in some way want we want to leave our mark in some way if the person if a, who is supposed to be a slave is not bought, that person has left no mark on anyone. Yeah. And I can't imagine anything more hopeless or hapless than that. Yeah, but it's, it's, this is, that's very vivid and powerful. And the specificity, the, the point of this book was to free you from Egypt. The inverse in the end is to send you back there even less than you were before. All right. Well, this is the answer to our ancestors who kept saying we want to go back to Egypt. Right. You know, things were so much better. And here the answer is, oh, they're not only not better, they're worse than you can imagine. You know that Maimonides, because the, the Torah, you know, talks about you're not going back to Egypt, you're not going back to Egypt. Um, Maimonides, who lived most of his life in Egypt, is said to have signed his letters. You know, when he write a letter, he said, Moshe ben Maimon, living here in Egypt, I forget exactly the phrasing, but it amounts to in violation of the Torah's prophecy that one will never be back in Egypt. <laughs> well, we can't end on a down note. Vaya, we'll do something, a verse from the Haftarah. Vaya lach Adonai l'or olam ve'lo hayech l'tifartech. Lo yavo od shimshech v'yerechech lo yasev. This, you know, 
Isaiah says there's going to be a time when, when the sun won't go down and the moon will not wane, but the Lord will be your light forever. Right? We can't, we can't live in, this is what the, the genius and the beauty of Judaism, you can't live in this moment with, where, you know, of that image of, of meaninglessness and, and no narrative, no story and no life, no soul. You have to aspire to a, a day where there's light, lots of light, lots of hope, lots of joy. And that's how we're going to end this, <laughs> on the note of the Haftarah, I guess. Uh, and uh, I guess for, for Barry and for Jeremy, I want to say, we want to say together, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. for watching us. We look forward to another beautiful, amazing, incredible Parsha next week. Shabbat Shalom for all.